Y'all sound good this morning? Thank you for standing and worshiping. We're going to get right into our, our Bible study today, and uh, we're going to try to wrap up our series on walls. You can be seated. Um, and for those that are not familiar with what we've been looking at, we are looking at walls from two perspectives. Uh, we looked at the walls of Jericho, and we compared that to things that need to be torn down in our lives. Have you ever had an obstacle in your life that it just seemed like you couldn't get it out and you needed God to deliver you from it, needed God to bring you through it, get you over it? And that, to me, is what Jericho symbolized in the physical but also in the spiritual for us. Many times we're facing things that we simply cannot tear down by ourselves. We need the Spirit of God to reach in and tear things down and tear things out of our lives that are keeping us from the promises of God. So we looked at Jericho, and those were walls that needed to be taken out. But then there are walls of holiness and walls of righteousness that need to be repaired and built up in our lives. And so we went to the book of Nehemiah. Everyone said Nehemiah. And we looked at how Nehemiah began the tedious process of rebuilding walls that had been torn down, the walls around the holy city of Jerusalem. The walls protected the temple. They protected the house of God, the people of God, and they had been torn down. And I'll take you to the next slide. And we're doing a little bit of review here. Now, for some people, they've never had walls in their life, and they have to build them for the first time. And for others, if you live for God long enough, there will be areas in your life that spiritual areas that will fall into disrepair if you're not careful. This is what happened to the people of God. They were taken captive uh, by the Babylonians, and when the Babylonians took the city, they burned the walls with fire. They burned the temple of God. They burned the city of God down, the holy city. Everyone said the holy city. I think that's an important distinction to make. They, in, in the Old Testament, and even today, I was talking to uh, a an Israelite just recently he was in my home and and he kept referring to Jerusalem as the holy city isn't that an amazing thing and so the holy city and the holy temple and the holy walls were burned down if we're not careful the enemy will steal our holiness he'll tear the walls down in our lives and so Ezra was the first one everyone said Ezra of course we have an entire book of Ezra in the Bible, and he came, and he began the process of rebuilding the temple, and, and then as he was finishing, he did not complete the repairs of the wall, and there was a man named Nehemiah who came and realized, in fact, he was in captivity, and he began to really feel a burden and did you know that God can give you a burden for holiness? God can give you a burden for righteousness. God can give you a burden for walls. And Nehemiah began to really feel convicted because the temple was rebuilt and people were making their way back to Jerusalem, and yet the city was without a defense. The city was without a defense. And I'm just going to preach this for a minute. There are a lot of people who have the spirit and they're thankful for the spirit, but they never allow God to build the walls of defense in their life. We need to have the defense posts 
that keep the spirit strong in our lives. That's what holiness does. Holiness gives us a defense from the attacks of the enemy. And so Nehemiah felt a strong burden to return to Jerusalem and rebuild and repair the walls that had been burned and utterly destroyed with fire. And so the book of Nehemiah reminds us of the important relationship between the temple. Paul said, my body is a temple of what? The Holy Ghost. The relationship between our temple and the walls of protection. Everyone said holiness. These two things go together. We need to have the temple. We need to have the spirit of God in our lives. And we also need to have walls of separation that keep the world from infiltrating what God has done in our lives. And so New Testament Christians need to maintain the temple and walls of holiness at the same time. And I believe that the last day church, as we're right on the verge of the trumpet sounding, we desperately need Nehemiahs to stand up and have a burden for holiness and have a burden for righteousness. We need that in these last days. We're desperate for it. And so I'll take you to the next slide. Now, let me talk about what the walls represented uh, to Jerusalem. And I believe that everything we're going to say about the walls of Jerusalem also apply to our holiness. Number one, there are many reasons for godly walls. There's many reasons for holiness. Number one, protection of what is precious and sacred from enemy invasion, wild animals, weather, and the walls discouraged attacks, and they signified power. How many want to have power in the Holy Ghost? Power in the Holy Ghost. The walls signified power. Walls were and are the first line of defense against encroachment. A city without walls was considered a shameful and disgraced city. And so if, if you were to come to a city in those days that didn't have a wall of defense, that was considered a weak city. That's why when the people of God saw the walls of Jericho, they saw walls that needed to be torn down. The Bible says they were fearful when they saw those walls because it signified a powerful city. Not only can God tear down strongholds, demonic forces, but God can build up righteousness and strength and power in our lives. A people without walls represented a vulnerable, weak, defenseless, defeated people. Walls represented the blessing of God. Everyone said the blessing of God on his people. A city with walls was a blessed city. And people with walls of righteousness are blessed people. Rebuilding the walls showed that God was with his people. And upon the completion of the walls, Nehemiah wrote, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. When you have walls of holiness in your life, the enemy is afraid because he knows that you have power in the Holy Ghost. How many are glad that you can have power in the Holy Ghost today? And so that's Nehemiah 6 and 16. Okay, I'll take you to the next slide. I'm going to move as quickly as I can. I'd like this to be the final lesson in the series. Uh, we only did 28 lessons in Proverbs. We can try to keep this series down to five. We'll do the best that we can. And by the way, I just want to point this out. Brother Duffy gave this to me this morning. This is not a real gun. I saw some of you looking at it, and you were afraid. I could see it in your eyes. But this is actually a pointer. Praise the Lord. Anybody feel the Holy Ghost when I do that? I just And, and look at this. Not only can you point, look at that. So if any of y'all start falling asleep, I can, I can wake you up with my, with my lighter. Isn't that fantastic? I appreciate Brother Duffy. All right. Uh, I want to look at eight problems 
that wall builders face. Eight problems that every wall builder faced. Nehemiah certainly faced it. Anytime you start trying to build up righteousness in your life, anytime you start trying to build up holiness in your life, you're going to face obstacles. You're going to face problems. There's going to be resistance that comes against you. And the number one problem that I see people facing, especially in our world today, when they start trying to live in a life of holiness or a life of righteousness, the number one problem, and I could go around this room and we could all nod our head and say, I've experienced this, is ridicule. Ridicule and condescension. The enemy will always try to make you feel less than, less than. We looked at this with Jericho, but remember, that's exactly what God's people did to themselves when they saw unrighteous walls. What did they say about themselves? They said, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And that was before anybody started actually openly mocking them. They just felt that way. Did you know that you can have an insecurity complex if you're not careful? If you let the enemy define who you are rather than allowing God to define who you are? But I'm just going to tell you something right now. I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm not going to let the enemy define who I am. I'm going to let God define who I am. I'm going to let God tell me who I should be. And it's not anybody else's job to tell me. I'm going to let the word of God and I'm going to let the voice of God define who I am. And so Nehemiah understood this. By the way, you can go through the Bible and you find example after example of people and obstacles and situations where the first thing the enemy does to God's people is start trying to intimidate them, ridicule them, and make fun of them. What did Goliath do when God's people were cowering in fear? Goliath was mocking them. And David came along. It just took one young boy to come along and say, who is this, who is this Philistine to, to say anything about the people of God? We're the people of the living God. He can't talk about us that way. And sometimes Christians just need to have a mindset that says, you know what? I'm not going to take that anymore. I'm going to stand up to the giants of this world. I'm going to be who God called me to be. And it took a young person. And I believe in the young people of this generation. This would be a good place for an elder to say Amen. They're not in here right now. If they can hear me upstairs, I believe in the young people of this generation. There are Davids that are being raised up right now who are looking Goliaths in the eye and they're saying, you know what? We're not going to let you tell us who we are. We're not going to let you tell us what to do. We are going to be who God called us to be. And so Nehemiah and, and all of the people who followed him faced intense ridicule and condescension. Condescension is, is a kind of a variation of ridicule. You ever, you ever sense it when someone is being condescending to you? Mm. Yeah, they don't say it. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't necessarily tell you, but you just get the vibe. You get that vibe. They're looking down their nose at you. Uh, you know, their glasses kind of come down a little bit, and they give you that look. And, uh, and, and that's condescension. And this is how the enemy tries to... Uh, intimidate us or embarrass us, embarrass us. I think that's why it's important uh, to memorize and quote the Apostle Paul when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Anything that pertains to my salvation, I'm not ashamed of it because I'm thankful for it. 
because God put it in my life. And so Nehemiah 4 and, 4 and 1, let's look at this. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. He was angry and took great indignation. And he mocked the Jews. Anyone said he mocked the Jews. He made fun of them. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? In other words, are they going to rebuild this wall in one day? Are they so arrogant they think they're really going to make a difference? What is one day going to do? Uh, are, they're, they're weak. They don't have the resources. Are they going to make sacrifices? Are they really, do they really think that this is a time of sacrifice? Nobody has sacrificed here in, in years. This is, a, this is a burn over field. This is a destroyed city. These walls aren't going to be rebuilt. Will they make an end? Will they revive the stones of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? These stones have been burned. They've been torn down. They've been broken up. Do they really think they're going to make a difference? You ever heard anybody talk about walls of holiness this way? Are they really going to make a difference in this time, in this day, in this age? It's old-fashioned. It's broken. It's torn down. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So even if a, they're going to build this up, but if a little fox climbs up on there, the whole thing's going to come down. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Now Nehemiah is crying out to God. Anyone ever prayed a prayer like this before? Hear, O God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. And I love verse 6 because he cried, he's made fun of, they're despised, they're rejected, they're looked down on, there's condescension, there's doubt, there's all kinds of opposition coming against them. He cries out a little moment of desperation there. Anybody ever had a little moment of desperation before? He has this moment of desperation, and in verse 6, he says, so we built the wall. There we go. They made fun of us. They did their thing. I didn't like it. I cried out to God. But you know what I did? I just built a wall. You know what you need to do when people start mocking you for your relationship with God? Just go build a wall. Just say, all right, I, I don't like it. Just cry out to God. Have, have, your, have your little time of sorrow. That's okay. God understands. But then when you get done with all of that crying out to God, just go build a wall. Just go build it up. Get a hammer. Get whatever you got to do and just start building. And let God fight your battles for you. Let God step in the gap. And God will do that. So every wall builder, every wall rebuilder will face ridicule and condescension. And you need to be aware of that because when it comes and it will come, you need to be prepared to say, you know what? I, I, I may not like it, but I'm going to do what God called me to do. How many want to please God and not men? All right. That's number one. We're not going to get through all these slides, are we? Number two. Next slide. The second problem that wall builders face is angry opposition, angry opposition. This is the next step up. When ridicule doesn't work, when condescension doesn't work, usually there will be some kind of opposition, some kind of outright anger or displeasure that is displayed. Nehemiah 4.1, when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. He was very angry and he took great indignation. He was upset. He was offended. He was enraged. And all of that anger and all of that opposition began to grow, and it turned into dangerous things, as we'll see in just a moment here. But in the end, 
You cannot allow the anger of others to keep you from being who God has called you to be. They have to work through that on their own. And you can't respond. You, how many understand that we can't return evil with evil? The Bible is very clear. We can't return. We can't give anger for anger. And number three, discouragement. Everyone said discouragement. This is very normal, uh, and we don't like it when we're discouraged. How many realize that when you get discouraged over spiritual things, that can be the worst kind of discouragement? It's one thing to be discouraged, you know, because the, uh, the car won't start. That's discouraging. But it's very discouraging when, when it's, you're trying to do right. Anyone ever tried to do the right thing before, and it just seemed like the harder you tried to do the right thing, the more the opposition came? That can be incredibly discouraging. And the enemy knows that. He knows that that'll wear you down spiritually. Nehemiah 4.10. And Judah said, he came to Nehemiah and he said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. Well, I could preach a whole message on the strength of the bearer of burdens. How many have just felt like you're a bearer of burdens? That's all I am. I'm just a, I'm just a beast of burden. I'm just, anyone ever felt like the whole weight of the world was on your shoulders? Uh, anyone ever felt like Elijah and you, you feel like you're the only person trying to do the right thing? You call down fire from heaven and then you say, Lord, but there's not a single other person out here in this world that wants to do the right thing. Nobody wants to serve you. Admit it. We've all felt that way. Sometimes you feel like you're the only person in the world who's trying to do the right thing. You feel like a bearer of burdens. And sometimes you just go to the man of God. You go to the person in your life that is calling you to rebuild walls and you say, but preacher, it just seems like all of our strength is decayed. It's gone. We just don't we don't have the strength anymore to keep bearing these burdens. Let me just encourage somebody today. If you will cast your cares on the Lord, he will give you strength. Hallelujah. He will give you strength. You can't do it by yourself. That, you know, that's our problem is we, we think, you know, we're kind of raised with this idea that we can fix everything. And, and maybe there are things in life that we can fix. But when it comes to spiritual things, you have to just do the right thing. Build the wall and let God take care of the rest. You're not going to be able to fix all the problems in the world, but you can, you can work on you. You can take care of you. You know what I've noticed about people who struggle in their relationship with God? They're usually very fixated on what other people are doing wrong. If you get really fixated on the walls in other people's lives that are in disrepair, you'll use that as an excuse to never repair your walls. Hello. You start looking around at everybody. I will see their walls are torn down. Why can't my walls be like that? They're sitting, you know, the, the temple's not in good shape in their city. I'm not seeing much Holy Ghost moving in their life. Maybe I don't have to worry about that in my life. No, no, no. This isn't about what they're doing. This is about you and your relationship with God. This is about you being right with God. And if you start looking at everybody else, you're going to have a big problem. And I'll tell you something else. We're all good at looking at everybody else's walls, but when they start looking at ours, we get defensive, don't we? Don't look at my walls. We don't like that at all. But I'll tell you what, it really comes down to us and God. When you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, it isn't going to matter what mama did, what grandma did, what grandpa did, what your brother did. It's not going to matter what your, the person sitting beside you in church did. It's going to be you and God. And when he responds to you, he's going to speak directly to you. 
And so I want the spirit, I want the temple, I want the walls, I want the holy city of Jerusalem to be operating in my life. The strength, the strength of the bears is decayed. They fought discouragement, but they worked their way through it. Next slide. Number four, this is a big one. The fourth problem wall builders face is fear. Everyone said fear. Nehemiah 6, 9, I've got to move quickly. For they all, this is the New Living Translation, by the way, they, for they all made us afraid. Everyone said afraid. Saying their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. That'd be a great prayer for every Christian to pray. Strengthen my hands, Lord. I can't do this by myself. I need the spirit to strengthen my hands. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and Ammonites and Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps, everyone said the gaps. Oh, I could preach about gaps in the wall, but I'm not going to do it. And that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. There's another one, by the way, confusion. But we prayed to our God. But we prayed to our God. You can't rebuild walls without prayer. You can't have a relationship with God without prayer. And so we prayed to our God and guarded the city. Praise the Lord, night and day to protect ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Everyone said fear. They were afraid. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. Everyone said the exposed areas. I should preach on that, shouldn't I? All right, the exposed area. You need to guard the exposed areas in your life. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. In other words, there's a lot for us to do. There's too much for us to do. This city is big. The walls are long. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Ever feel like you're just separated? I know we come to church on Sunday and we come to church on Wednesday, but sometimes you go through the week and you just feel like you're separated from everybody who is like-minded, from everyone who has your back. We go into the world. How many know we live in the world? We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We go to jobs where there's all kinds of things that come against us and we face temptations and we face opposition and all of the things that happen to us on a daily basis. Nehemiah said we're widely separated from each other along the wall. And when you hear the blast of the trumpet rush to wherever the trumpet is sounding, then our God will fight for us. Sometimes you, <laughs> oh, I don't have time to preach this. You know, sometimes you've got to get to the sound that's happening. You've got to get to the church. You've got to get to the people of God. You've got to get where the preaching is taking place. You've got to get where the spirit is flowing, where it's moving. You've got to listen for the sound, the sound of abundance of rain. You've just got to say, I, I, I'm weak right now, and the enemy's coming in like a flood. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard, a standard against the enemy. And then God will fight for you. Aren't you glad that God will fight for you? I don't have to fight all my battles because God's got my back. I may feel separated. I may feel disjointed. Sometimes I feel lost, but I'm going to tell you what, when the trumpet sounds, God's going to fight my battle for me. 
and I'm going to get where the people of God are. Why? Why is it important that we come to church? We don't just come to church so we can look at each other. It's nice to be able to see you today, but we come to church so we can hear the sound of a trumpet, so we can fight together and that God can move on our behalf because we're all building walls together. We're all strengthening ourselves together. And sometimes you just need a brother. You need a sister so that you can grow in strength together. That'd be a good place to say amen. All right, number five, next slide. Running out of time. Number five, internal strife. Everyone said internal strife. I think this is one of the worst ones. This is when wall rebuilders start fighting among themselves. Uh-oh. See, I, I don't like the old pulpit we had at Easter because people can see right through it. I like this one because if you get mad at me, I can duck down behind it. I told someone when I'm behind that other one, I just feel like I have nowhere to hide. You know, sometimes I just need a place, place to go. Internal strife. When the people of God start fighting amongst themselves, hell begins to win the battle. When there's internal strife. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all in one they were all in one mind and in one accord. There was unity. Everyone said unity. The enemy operates best when the church, when the people of God are disunified. And so internal strife will halt the rebuilding of good things in our lives. Infighting. Sometimes I call it friendly fire. You know, in the military, uh, when, when someone is wounded by one of their own, they call it friendly fire. I've always thought that was a strange thing because if, you know, if someone on your side shoots you by accident, that doesn't feel friendly, does it? <laughs> or even worse, if they shoot you on purpose. You ever read those Vietnam stories where they got mad at a sergeant and they got in battle and they just decide we're going to take him out in battle? Yeah, you know there's Christians that do that? All right, that's why I need this thing so I can get down here. Well, maybe I can take them out while nobody's looking and they'll think the enemy did it. That's not what God wants the church to do. Nehemiah 5 and 1, and there was a great cry of the people and their wives against their brethren. Listen, you get the, you get the ladies of the church mad, you're going to get things done. You get the ladies upset, and there's going to be change in the church. And so the wives started crying out, out against the brethren, the Jews, against their own people. For there were that said, we are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Set now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage. Everyone said bondage. Our sons and our daughters to be servants. They were literally having to sell their children as bond servants. This isn't the kind of servants that we think of. Uh, this would be like a, like a bond servant, sort of like a job, but it was a job where you were in servitude, and uh, oftentimes there would be a wealthy person that would pay a parent uh, for uh, his children to basically live there and be a servant. And some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources to buy them back, to redeem them. For other men have our lands and vineyards. There are people, our own people. There are Jews that are wealthy, that are living among us, that are taking advantage of those of us that are poor. 
and this isn't right. Here we're all trying to sacrifice to rebuild the walls. We're all trying to sacrifice for the things of God. And yet our own people are taking advantage of us while the work is taking place. Have you ever felt like someone, don't, rate, don't look at anybody. Some of y'all were about to have a prayer meeting right now. But have you ever felt like you're trying to work for God and, and other people who should be working with you, instead they're taking advantage of you? You're just trying to do something for God and other people are abusing the situation. That's what was happening here. Nehemiah was, became angry and he cried out and he said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're, we're, we're a family. We're the people of God. We're going to work together. We're going to lift one another up. And when someone's hurting, we're going to take care of them. And when someone's broken, we're going to help them out. And no more are we going to push our own people down. That is a revival that the Church of America needs today. No more are we going to push our brothers and sisters down, but we're going to lift them up. I'm going to have the spirit of an encourager, not the spirit of a discourager. Amen. That'd be a good place for somebody to say amen. I've made up my mind. I'm going to be an encourager, not a discourager. And by the way, you can, you can help change someone's life just by helping them once in a while. Just by helping them once in a while. And Nehemiah said, we're, we're going to get this done. But the only way that we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish is if we work together and we care for one another. But we'll never accomplish it if we're fighting amongst ourselves. You know, the enemy doesn't have to fight you. If you're, you know why some churches don't have any opposition? Because the enemy doesn't have to fight them. They're too busy fighting each other. Why is the devil going to mess with the church where they're already doing his job? He doesn't care. He'll just let you go at it. But when a church gets unified, that's when the enemy is going to take notice. But you know what? I'd rather fight the devil any day than fight my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Together, we can win the battle against the enemy. But we don't need to do his job for him. He's already got that covered. But we can work together and we can accomplish anything. And I'm going to say that again. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We can accomplish anything that God's called us to accomplish if we are unified in the spirit. If we remain unified. Okay, next slide. The sixth problem that wall builders face is laziness. Everyone said laziness. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Nehemiah 4.10, and they came to Nehemiah, and they said, and there is much rubbish. <laughs> and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. There's always that one guy that says we can't do it. There's always that one guy who says there's just too much work. It's just too hard. There's just too much to do. Don't look at your, don't look at your husband. Some of you ladies looking right over there at your husband. There's, just, there's always that one guy or gal that says, there's just, there's just too much. We're not going to be able to do it. And, uh, and Nehemiah said, you know what? The Lord's going to help us do it. We can do it if the Lord helps us do it. Number seven, so resist laziness. Resist the spirit that says we can't. Resist the spirit. That's, by the way, that was the same spirit that will keep you from tearing down walls that God wants you to tear down, like the walls of Jericho, is the same spirit that will keep you from building up walls that God wants you to have. Because what is it that they said when God called them to go into the promised land and they saw the giants and they saw the walls of Jericho? They said, we cannot take the land. It's too hard. The giants are too big. The walls are too tall. It was that same spirit that was trying to creep into the church when they said, Nehemiah, 
There's just too much rubbish. It's just the walls are too torn down. It's too broken. There's, there's just too much for us to do. We can't possibly do this. We're not going to be able to do it. Same spirit. Same spirit. The same spirit that will keep you out of your promise is the same spirit that will keep the power of God from being strong in your life. Resist that spirit. Number seven, the call to compromise. Everyone said compromise. Nehemiah 6 and 1, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished. They heard the word that we had finally done it, rebuilding the wall, and that no gaps remained. We need to preach a message called No Gaps Sometime. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates, so Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them, and I love this. He said, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? And by the way, that's what some of you need to get in your spirit. There are people calling you to compromise. You know what you need to do? You need to keep working on the wall. I'm too busy. I'm working for God. I don't have time because I'm doing what God called me to do. I can't come down right now. No, you want me to go there? No, I can't go there because God's called me to build the wall in my life. And so I, I can't mess with all that right now. I'm engaged in a great work. Four times, they just wouldn't stop. They sent the same message, and each time, I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. And I, this is fascinating to me. Listen carefully. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. The enemy will always start trying to question your motives. You think you're better than everybody, don't you? Trying to serve God. You're just trying to build your own kingdom. You're not worried about God's kingdom. You're worried about your kingdom. You're just trying to make yourself great. You're just trying to do this for you. You're just trying to build this wall so you can rebel and have your own kingdom. And according to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report, here's the, here's the vague threat now. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. And I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So here, here he does again. I love, here's the spirit of Nehemiah. They came against me with false accusation. They lied about me. They tried to call me to a camp of compromise. They tried to get me to come down from doing what God called me to do. And so I continued the work with even greater determination. That's the spirit that we need to have today. The enemy came in like a flood. I just kept working harder. He tried to lie about me. I just kept working harder. He tried to make up stories about me. I just was more determined to do what God called me to do. And number eight, and this one's very, very important. This is the final problem that every wall builder and wall rebuilder faces, Nehemiah 6 and 10. Lying prophets and preachers. Glory, hallelujah. Lying prophets and preachers. Nehemiah said this, afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah and said, let us meet together in the house of God. This is what Shemaiah said to Nehemiah. Let's meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us shut the doors of the temple for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. So this prophet, supposed prophet, looked at Nehemiah and said, let's, let's run to the temple that Ezra built and let's shut ourselves in because the enemy's going to kill you tonight. 
They're going to sneak in and try to kill you, and so let's go to the temple. Does anybody, you may not pick up on it, but does anyone realize there's a problem with this scenario? And I said, such such a man as I flee, and who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me. For Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore was he hired. This was a well-paid false prophet. And by the way, there's nothing worse than a well-paid false prophet. (laughs) You know, the low-paid false prophets, they're not so bad. But the well-paid false prophets, you got to watch out for them. That I should be afraid and do so and sin. And that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. Here's why. Nehemiah was not a priest. Nehemiah was not a Levite. So, according to Old Testament law, for Nehemiah to enter into the temple would have been a grave sin. A grave sin. Nehemiah wasn't about to step foot in the temple. But what the enemy tried to do, what the false prophet tried to do, was convince him that this is an exigent circumstance. This is an extenuating circumstance. He tried to trick him into sin. He tried to trick him into compromise. He tried to trick him into doing something that he knew he shouldn't do for his own well-being. Not only could it have caused him to be struck dead by God, but it certainly would have ruined his testimony and it would have ruined this, the sense of courage that he was in trying to instill in the people who were working on the wall. If the man of God is hiding, what are the people working on the walls going to do? If the man of God's afraid, what are the people working on the walls going to do? If the man of God is ashamed, what are the people working on the walls going to do? And this is exactly what the false prophet was trying to get Nehemiah to do. But he recognized whether God gave him the inspiration The Bible doesn't tell us whether God spoke to him and said this is a false prophet. But I'll tell you the first the first clue that he had that this was a false prophet. And it's the first clue that you can always have if you're wondering whether or not someone is a false prophet. He recognized immediately that this man who called himself a prophet was asking him to do something that went against the word of the Lord. And I can just tell you something right now. God's word is forever settled. God is never going to send a preacher to tell you to do something that God's word told you not to do. If God's word told you not to do it and a preacher tells you to do it, you can say, false prophet, Sambalot and Tobiah are paying him off. And I'm not going to listen to that because God already told me I'm not to go there. I'm not to touch that. I'm not to do that. And I'm busy building walls. I don't have time to hide. I don't have time to play games. I don't have time to get lost because God has called me to work on the walls. And so this would have been a grave sin. Verse 14, and I'm closing. And he said this in prayer, my God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works. And on the prophetess, we don't even know what this prophetess did. He just mentions her in passing. We don't know. Uh, Evidently, there were other false prophets who came against him. And there was this prophetess and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. All of these false prophets were trying to intimidate him into not rebuilding the wall that God had called him to build. But then verse 15, this is what Nehemiah always goes back to. All of this, and so the wall was finished in 52 days. 72 years they went without a wall. 
But one person decided we're going to do it and I'm not going to let anything stop me. And it only took them 52 days. You can do anything if God is on your side. Let's stand and lift up our hands right now. Can we ask the Lord to be a fence around us? Come on, lift up your hands. Jesus, be a fence around us, I pray, Lord. From every distraction, from every onslaught of the enemy, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would strengthen our faith and courage us, Lord. I pray that we would fall in love with you in every area of our lives, God. We give you praise. And everyone said in Jesus' name. In Jesus